So how many shares did you buy when you, you are you gold level or silver level? What's a dollar fifty get you? Because that's currently what I'm worth. Zinc? I don't know. Zinc. <laughs> Healing. I have no clue. <laughs> bring your own bring your own container. Make sure it's airtight. You're listening to PHP Ugly, episode 68, recorded July 6, 2017. Today we talk about cryptocurrency, NSA open source technology, open source monetization, let's encrypt wildcards, and a lot more. Here we go. Gentlemen, I want to talk to you about a man named Charles Osborne. Charles Osborne lived in Iowa. And in 1922, he got a case of the hiccups. Charles Osborne, from Iowa, started hiccuping in 1922. And continued hiccuping until 1990. That's right. Charles Osborne hiccuped for 68 years and continues to hold the world record for the longest hiccup. Welcome to episode 68. Stop I'm it. I'm Johnson. And this is PHP Ugly. Oh my goodness. What are you doing to us? Uh, you know, I try to I try to mix it up every now and then. That now there there is one that I could do, and I think I got the green light to do it. I was holding off because I used a year the last time. I kind of used a year this time, but it was like a, a, a number of years. But in nineteen sixty-eight, in a small town called Liverpool, Ohio. Are you doing too? A beautiful young woman was born who i would go on to marry much later in life just to let you guys know that so there (laughs) welcome to episode 68 what that lady's name beck mrs shokum (laughs) hey guys how's it going Uh uh-huh what's going on oh Long day. My every other Thursday podcast schedule is, is hectic, man. I got, I got. Why, why don't you join us on Lair Chat Live anymore, Thomas? Oh yeah, that's was, right. It's your nap time. I was at a meetup actually. <laughs> what? Yeah. You, you ventured outside Cheat. the house. He's cheating on us too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was um, really gross, and I won't be going back. Uh-oh. I, I saw you say that in Slack, and I was wondering what you meant, but I figured I'd save it for this. Well, I it's sort of self-explanatory. So I went to a, a – they were calling it a Bitcoin meetup group. Um, I was looking for information about blockchain tech and stuff like that because the last week has been entirely enveloped in learning about and implementing – So. Something our listeners might not understand. Although we get together once a week and do this podcast, we are in communication all week long through Slack, IRC. We just talk to each other. We're friends. We're developers. You know, we're constantly talk, talking to each other. I have never seen Thomas so completely consumed with a topic as he's been this last week. It's like Every day, the guy's getting more and more excited, tweeting out more and more links and more and more information. This next piece of what he's about to tell you, you guys will not have an appreciation to how much Thomas has totally immersed himself (laughs) into this topic. Thomas, take it away. So, I I sort of got the vibe from it that it was a 
it was going to be an investors oriented meetup. Um, if you don't know much about the blockchain, uh, you're just not going to understand this part because we're not going to spend the entire podcast talking about it. But it's Ethereum functions in a way where it's both a, a virtual stock market in many ways as well as a platform for application development and financing. And the blockchain in general is sort of moving that direction where anyone can launch a coin and do a thing with it. Uh, this turned out to be just a, a really disgusting series of sales pitches that made me feel like I was I was getting a condo somewhere or really uh, so you were looking for for information hoping to like pick brains I was, and learn more I was looking for people who who had a fundamental understanding of of cryptocurrency and what I got was people who had a really good understanding of stock markets exchanges um you know uh tucked in polo shirts telling me hey this is our new cryptocurrency it's totally not an mlm uh and then describing what a mlm is as what their currency was someone if you have to say we're not an mlm you're an mlm well the whole (laughs) the whole meetup started with with the woman running it saying uh, oh, by the way, is anyone here a, a member of the press or here in a function as a worker for the federal government? Uh, raise your hand. And that was the first thing. And I, I just sort of went, oh, shit. That's odd. Yeah, that's – she said, well, just we're just checking to make sure who's with us. We're not giving any investment advice. Here are three people who are going to sell you their new investments. Like, and then, and then it slowly at some point got towards, oh, this person is not selling me their investments. This person's literally selling me her referral code to a site that she is quote unquote employed by. And this is a room. That's, that's where it got gross was that this was a room of people who did not know how to create a Bitcoin wallet. They had $10,000 that they had saved up and were looking for a place to invest it. And you could tell the difference between the people who were there to invest their savings and the people who were there to steal. It, it was wow. a very stark contrast. And the, so, they... so real quick, real quick for, for the listeners to catch up, in case you don't know what MLM stands for, it stands for multi-level marketing. It's a lot of these, uh, how you refer it's to a, a lot pyramid of these pyramid scheme. schemes. Yeah. yeah. But there, there, there are legitimate multi-level marketing solutions out there, but... Most of them are like pyramid schemes, yes. Yeah. So that, when he says MLM, that's what he's referring to. The first step in the MLM is the referral code. And, you know, so I make money by you joining our system. Uh, but that's that's not always a clear giveaway. What was a clear giveaway for me was the the, the levels of ownership. Are... No, it's the levels you... of ownership. So the, the second group that – or the second two guys that came up started talking about – at the $200 investment level, you're in the silver group, which means that you can receive the luxury bonus, the time to invest bonus, the ETA bonus, the market value share split bonus. I mean, it was just throwing buzzwords out there and calling them bonuses, and it was totally made up. And I'm like, the guy must have listed 20 different levels of bonuses, and then like... And if you, and if you make enough in the bonuses, you get to join us at our exclusive vacation right, spot. right. <laughs> But here is the thing is like there was 
you know, by this point, because I stayed longer than a lot of people, there were probably six people that left before I did because I didn't stay for the whole meetup. How many people do you think were there? Uh, over 20. Wow. There, there appeared to really? be, yeah, a lot of people. I mean, this was clearly, they and they do this weekly. This is a weekly meetup. And there, there was not discussion about the nature of cryptocurrency or the current state of the market. This was just investment opportunities. And the people there were all nodding their head. And I swear to God, one of the ladies pulled up a SpongeBob meme uh, about how sharing is caring. I, it, as reference, as a reference to how the referral program worked, and a good fifteen people busted out laughing. That is an awesome use for Meetup.com. I never thought about starting an MLM opportunity, right? And using Meetup to to recruit new people into it. And that was, and that's oh exactly what they did. Eric, but they I quit. said, they said, you're interested in <laughs> cryptocurrency, right? Buy our cryptocurrency, and and it was. And there was there was actually a woman there who was acting like a cheerleader. She seemed to be affiliated with the people who were presenting, and so she would lead she would goad them on with these questions like, "What's another avenue for revenue with this system?" You know, very loudly speaking out, and and it was I mean it was gross because it was a room full of people getting fleeced, and if you didn't leave before the end of the the meeting, you didn't realize you were getting fleeced, and there there were. There were a couple guys who were there who, as soon as we got in there, I looked I looked around the room and said, oh, yeah, that guy, that guy. Th- we know what we're doing. We're the techies here. And they split quick. I mean, they were there for 15 minutes. Um, but I, I really wanted to, to see what direction it was going and see if there were people I could meet and if they were starting a company and I wanted to train people or were looking for specific things in a developer – but I once I realized that every single person there was happily nodding their heads as somebody was picking their pocket, I was just like, "This is fucked. I cannot sit here and watch this." And and so I was I, I was clearly well, outnumbered too. If I had if I had stood up and said, "You understand that these people are actively stealing your money," I would have been. I mean, they would have beat the crap out of me. There were people there who <laughs> who knew that they were stealing and were selling it as if they were giving. And wow. so. Yeah, I maybe maybe I'm. I just want to make sure I'm processing everything correctly. So, the whole MLM MLM thing is them encouraging people to buy their cryptocurrency as opposed to like a Bitcoin or something. You you purchase theirs, and by referring other people to purchase theirs, you get no, money. No, it's not a it's not a straight up MLM. Um, the first one that was being presented was actually a, a an okay idea. Um, it was essentially a mutual fund for the coin market where you invested in and then they cross-invested with other tokens and then paid out dividends. Um, mm. But So it, it tried... sounds like it was companies that were uh, – they're trying to get into the blockchain technology market. Like there's plenty of others that are doing it. They're trying to get yeah, into it you... and then they're, they're trying to build a market by doing these – Right. Levels possibly. Yeah. So she was she was talking about the the one that she was employed by, which was started last December, and she was saying it's a really good really good thing is they have brick and mortar, and we all know brick and mortar is important. A brick and mortar building 
that represents these people is really important. And she what? showed us a picture of their brick and mortar building in uh, Panama. Like, <laughs> she says, yeah, this is where the company works out of. Everyone there speaks Portuguese. So there's a little translation stuff here and there. But, and I'm like, I'm like, not a single person works out of that building. That is an address. You just pointed at a map. You didn't do anything. Like, you you just so said sales, you can trust you it because they have a brick and, and mortar building, and then said they don't have a brick and mortar building. Look, this is the kind of <laughs> like, and it was such a. It, that's the thing that bothered me the most is that it was such a low level fleecing. It's like if you had any sense whatsoever, you knew that it was just complete bullshit. But okay. it was so very you, interesting. You obviously. People. That bad experience, I get that. You slipped a lot of doom and gloom in at the very beginning of the show. I'm a little disappointed <laughs> in that. But I want, I do want to get into some of the stuff you've been looking into through the, throughout the week because you've been, I mean, you've been hyping this up like big yeah. time. Like you, you've kind of deep dove in a lot of the ether and topics that we talked about last week. Can you? Well, the rest you of want it to is, elaborate on any of that. Yeah, the rest of it is sunshine and lollipops. Um, the, the position that Bitcoin is in right now is really fascinating um, because there was a there was a lot of discussion early in Bitcoin's life where it was it was like gold. It was like trading gold and the value fluctuates based off who trades it. Well, now that's more true than ever. Now, Bitcoin is the gold standard for every other cryptocurrency. So mm-hmm. when you when you look up the value of your cryptocurrency, you don't get USD, you don't get the euro, you get the value of this currency in Bitcoin payout. Hmm. And it's in a, it's in a very, very stable position as the authoritative uh, income outcome, you know, process, process the crypto, however you want to, with all the tokens, all the coins, but you put in Bitcoin and you get out Bitcoin. Hmm. Um, and which, which I think is really interesting. And, and the Bitcoin community seems to be pleased with this outcome. That's saying that we are gold, and it sort of relates to what we talked about last week with Ethereum Classic, where the Bitcoin people said you're not allowed to fork, and they did it anyways, and the Bitcoin people are now running Ethereum Classic. Um, well, so, so to me, Bitcoin is it, it is currency. I mean, there's plenty of places accepting Bitcoin as payment for goods and services. A lot of these other coins aren't necessarily currency per se. It's you're you're buying into their services. Uh, that's you're tokens. tokens to get into their service. Yeah, you're buying tokens to get into their services, right? Or or to fund their intention, and that gets into right. a story about open source monetization, where you can actually give a token to open source projects and say, "Hey, here's my ten cents, and you invest it how you want to, and it'll pay out based off of." It, it, there's a lot. It, it's it's a deep, deep, deep can of worms. Um, and I keep I keep hitting this com- this computer science blockade. Um, you know, every article I'll read will have a a reference that I don't understand. So I click the link, and it's just a you know somebody's photo of a blackboard with an equation written on it. And I just go, well, well, fuck, I'm not, I'm not getting anywhere from here. Time to go back. Just assume I don't understand this term now. So, but but the way that Ethereum has been built is is a really stunning uh, turn to to the market. Um, Ethereum, if you don't know, is a blockchain that is capable of executing code in the blockchain. 
Um, Which, by the way, this entire topic interrupted my sleep all night last night. I was constantly thinking about this, and it was driving me batty and exciting me at the same time. There's just so much you can do with it. Yeah. So, I mean, imagine that if you can program a blockchain, then you can program a blockchain in a blockchain, which is what Hmm. the token system is. The token system is blockchain tracking for an arbitrary thing. Um, They've also sort of changed the nature of mining. So mining for Ethereum is intentionally difficult at a set difficulty. Part of the mining process is processing transactions that have been executed and earning money for doing work that was requested by other users. So there's this thing in the Bitcoin world where you had to pay money to transfer money because everyone had to write down your transaction to the global ledger and publish it to each other. And there's expenses involved in that. Well, Ethereum has replaced that with a system called gas. And so gas is a calculation of cyclomatic complexity on something on your program. So since your transaction is a simple from me to you, it's two hashes and, you know, half a K of bandwidth. So that equals X gas. Uh, The value of gas goes up and down by the second. So if you want to make sure your transaction gets processed quickly, you have to pay a transaction fee that matches what the gas price is for that transaction at that time. Crazy stuff. Um, there are also their complexity in calculating the hash isn't as bad as Bitcoin is right now, right? Uh, it's kind of. So the, the, the algorithm is designed not to be solvable by certain um, hardware that was made just for Bitcoin, uh, ASIC compliant algorithms. Uh, so ASIC processors have no advantage on it. And then the algorithm, the sort of the rate at which successes occur is controlled by the ethernet community or the the ether coin community so it's as difficult as they want it to be um, right and then so with bitcoin it was they were targeting what every 10 or 15 minutes to get to have something mined and as it as computing power increased and that time started shifting below that 10 minutes the complexity increased right and in this case the complexity is dealt with in blocks, and those blocks are good for a few days while they're mined, and that includes the data for all the transactions that are occurring on the blockchain as well. So if you're doing mining, you're actually working the blockchain for people, and you get paid out for it as well. Um, but that's sort of going to end in a year or two, because right now the algorithm is a proof-of-work algorithm. So it just says, did you devote enough computer time that we're going to pay you out for? And you say, yeah, I prove, I can prove that I worked, you know, 5,000 watt hours. Here's the proof. And then they pay you out for that proof. The next step is a proof of investment, which is a whole different coin type. And they're going to be switching to that in a couple of years. So at this point, I think we need to go back and re- re-record the intro Welcome to Cryptocurrency Ugly. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like I said, I, I, I'm of the personality that gets obsessed so, with things, and I am, I'm totally obsessed because I see what's happening. 
I, I look at reports in the news where they say automation is going to replace people, and and they say, yeah, automation is going to automation is going to replace accountants. Automation is going to replace real estate agents. I I firmly believe that automation is going to replace real estate agents within five years. I, looking at this technology, I didn't understand how automation could replace a real estate agent. Now I do. It's super easy. It'll take about five years. <laughs> it's and, and seeing something you gotta like get buy off. I mean, not completely replaced because you got to get buy off on the public, and the public's not at a place of understanding any of this currently. The general public, I should say. Right, but then you look at the power that the venture capitals have to throw money into <clears throat> something like this. I mean, if you be if you could if you could propose and prove your ability to create the Uber of the real estate market. Uh, Uber took off in one year. It took one year for them to just go from zero to what they are. But but their what they're offering makes sense when you compare it to a taxi. Right, and what I'm offering with real estate makes sense when you're looking at a 10% fee that your real estate agent is taking. You're gonna you're gonna make a hundred thousand dollars by but... using our system. Okay, six percent. Still, it's a it's in in a market that's growing and growing, and you're looking at the location where it's growing the most and the most expensive, like Silicon Valley. People who are going to be on that border, it's gonna blow up. When when one person writes the what the white paper and gets their VC friends to get in on it, you'll see the first automation of housing sales, and that's gonna just take off from there out of Silicon Valley. It's and and my my point is more that I didn't understand how you could automate something that only a person can do. Now I do. This system will 100% enable the automation of tasks that you didn't think could be automated. So interesting. Let's talk about this more off air. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I, I'm, I, I'm curious, John, from your perspective. I mean, you said you've you've been thinking about it a lot as well, as especially around uh, implementations. Uh, I mean, what are your thoughts on this? It, it was more of just my... I didn't have any specific thoughts. It was just more like all night my head running. Like every time I woke up, it was all about Ethereum and the blockchain and what can we do. And I haven't come up with anything concrete yet, but my head is definitely in that space of just the, the wow. Like there's there's something here. I just got to find it. So yeah, right. that, that's that was my take on it. There's something there. I just haven't put my finger on it yet. I'm obsessed with it in the same way, wanting I've, to find something to do with it. I've been telling people it's like seeing the internet turned on in the 70s. If, if you were friends with somebody who was writing TCPIP protocols in the 70s and said, look at this, imagine what it can do, you couldn't imagine what it can do, but you can start to imagine what it can do. And the blockchain technology that's out there right now, I cannot imagine what it's going to be capable of, but it is the next thing it's the next great thing for, yeah, for I keep watching, absolute clear i keep watching like just tons of videos and they're just random videos but people saying like writing the next uh protocol protocol like tcpip on the blockchain like this the blockchain technology is supposedly changing everything and i'm just trying to wrap my head around how how i can make benefit of that Outside of just investing money into it, because that's, I mean, anyone can do that. I think that's the worst way to go. I think investing yeah. is the the worst way to make money from the blockchain. It's the most accessible at this point. Oh, yeah. 
I mean, most of the blockchain apps that have been developed are all for managing investments in the blockchain. It's, mm-hmm. uh, there's a lot of really great tools out there to, to do this, but that's the value of the cryptocurrencies isn't going to be established by people investing in it. It's going to be established in people utilizing it. I just I go back to the whole Bitcoin thing. When I first started looking into Bitcoin, probably a decade ago at this point, a, a single Bitcoin was $9. I remember looking at that. I'm like, this makes no sense. And I didn't take the time to learn about Bitcoin then. If I bought, obviously, at $9 and now it's worth $2,500, $2,600, and it's ridiculous. So it's, it's all about learning the technology, learning what it is, wrapping your head around it, and just going with it. Instead of just, eh, it's too much, too much to work on now. I'm gonna not worry about it. Yeah, it's not just monetary. It's it's everything. It's, it's having the knowledge and knowing what I'm talking about. Well, and which obviously and, right now I don't. But this knowledge requires an enormous investment. Like I said, I've probably done sixty hours in the last week of research, and that's because right now I I'm on vacation and my kids are out of town. I I could not have gotten to the point that I'm at now with my level of understanding working a job and raising children. It it requires such an amazing amount of focus to just start understanding the stuff. But it is amazing. Mm -hmm. What'd you do this week, John? (laughs) What did I do this week? I lost my entire personal blog. What? Oh, yeah. You know, if it was on the blockchain, that wouldn't happen. Kids? Yeah. There's no need to run your website on physical hardware anymore. Go ahead, John. And back up your stuff. No, it's one of those things. I, I had a, a physical server co-located somewhere. I've had it. I mean, I bought it probably 10, 15 years ago. I don't even know when I bought this thing. Uh, co-located it at uh, a company I used to work for. I was paying dirt cheap rates at that time. A few few years later, they said, you know what? You've done enough for us because I used to work there. They gave me the, the space for free. So I just had a server running there and just didn't care. It's been up for 15 years, no issues. And then there were issues. <laughs> <laughs> right, so I guess the, those, the, those little platters the su- don't spin forever. Well, the power supply went out on the, the server itself, as well as something happening with the hard drive. And luckily, I got a really good friend in Florida, persistent as all get out, and he got the hard drive up and running long enough, at least for me to uh, get the data off of it. So I'll have it up and running here again soon. Oh, thank God. JohnCongdon.com will be back online. It's important. <laughs> Cal Evans just today was tweeting out how important it is to blog about your, your issues. And that's what uh, that's all I did back in the day was blog about That's what media is for. As I say, when's the last time you posted something, John? Yeah, yeah. I have no clue. 2013. Hey, John. John, did you realize our company has a blog? Yeah. When's the last time you posted there, John? Yesterday. Holy oh, shit. Note to self. Write article, fudge date in database. Oh, uh, so Thomas, you're on vacation, huh? No, uh, no coding at all. Just this uh, Bitcoin waste of time you're doing. Well, the idea was to, the idea was to accomplish things around the house and do some self improvement. Um, but then, 
one of my favorite events of the year, uh, Summer Games Done Quick, is actually happening this week. And my what's that? Uh, what? Coincidence? I think what? That... video what? game speedrunning competition for charity. Yeah, for uh, Medicine Sans Frontieres. What what do you do? You 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 buy them? You you watch them? What you, you, you watch you watch them. you watch people do it. You watch people that's, break video games. Like, what break video games? What are you talking about? I'm very confused. Are they playing a game or not? They're breaking a video game. They're they're playing it as fast as can be done. So this this makes no sense to me. This is a d- thing. Or are you guys messing yeah. with me? No, this is a thing. How long do you think it takes the best player in the world to beat Super Mario, the original Super Mario? No idea. No idea. I think Twelve at this minutes. point it, it's about three and a half minutes. Wait, 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 wait. Can I? Can we? Can we assume it's sixty-eight seconds? No. Sure. Why not? Sixty-eight seconds. What? <laughs> See, I, I took with my long-winded speech. I took all the attention off Eric, so he's just been sitting there chugging his drink, trying to find um, something with sixty-eight. So- Trying to trying to stay awake, be hey, you know, next week sixty nine, baby. <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know what we'll come up with for that. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I have a question for you guys. There's been a couple topics that I've been kind of obsessed with lately. Watching some videos online. Bitcoin. Yeah, please don't be Bitcoin. <laughs> there's that. Okay, so there's three. I have two others that I want to talk about. Have you guys done any looked into trunk based development at all? I'm not even familiar what that means. What's trunk based development? I posted about it in Slack. Okay, he's Dude, feeding you. he's feeding you oh a line. God. Come on. Okay. Okay. Thanks, Eric. I appreciate. <laughs> Why do we have this show? Also, which Slack? I because you. I got kicked out of four of them <laughs> for financial reasons. Hey, we kicked you out of something else. <laughs> John's like, is Thomas going to get an email about that? Oh, I didn't. What did I get kicked out of now? What was it, John? Was it Teamworks? Uh, no, he wasn't. He was never in Teamworks. Yeah, I uh, wasn't in Teamworks. I forget was it what Jira? It was. No, we were never no, in Jira. We don't do Jira. I forget there, what it was. I'm like, hey, why is Thomas in here? Let's let's kick him out. It's <laughs> just like, God, I hope it doesn't send him an email. Uh, you just gotta, you gotta make sure, yeah, make sure email notifications are turned off before removing me, or else it becomes a, a card on our Trello board. Wait, why can't I get in our Trello board? We, we, I, I was gonna say, I think it was Trello. <laughs> so, I'm, I'm trying, so back to trunk-based development. I'm trying to wrap my head around this, it's basically, I guess Facebook does this, and probably other big companies. You're committing constantly to master. Instead of having feature branches that persist forever, you're constantly merging back into master, and everything is done off of feature toggles within the code, whether that's through your deployment process or some other way to say, does this user have access to this feature? And I like the idea, but I'm terrified of it at the same time and and so confused because I can understand I'm working on a feature and I I can set a flag on that. And for the big project I work on now, they already have that concept built in. Users have access to specific features. But I'm constantly touching other pieces of the code. And I don't want to have a thousand places in the code where I say, if user has this feature, this function now changes how it runs. 
So that confuses me. Code re- code review confuses me because if you're committing directly into master, that doesn't really work. Uh, one of the articles I read recently was they still do feature branches, but they're short lived. So it's create a feature branch, do your coding, have it reviewed, have it committed via pull request. Yeah, I kind of understand. I mean, if you're if you're running extensive tests and you have a QA department, I could see this as being a functional way of managing larger groups of of developers. Mm-hmm. Um, I you know, there's a, a company I applied for once that did gaming in bars and nightclubs and stuff like that. You might have might have heard of them before. Um, and they clearly had a QA team designed to manage their developer team, where once the developers pumped out the code they were told to pump out, QA just beat the crap out of it. They, I mean, they had a big. It seemed like they had a bigger QA team than they had development team. So, if that's how you were running it, I could see it functioning. Um, so we talked a little bit about this last week, right? With the with the constant deployments and how big of a deal constantly deploying was, and I still mm-hmm. keep coming back, even with this trunk based development. I still can't kind of like. There's a part of me that says, "Man, this seems like so like it's so ego driven. Like it's just a matter of being able to say how much you're pushing out to I, production every day." So I, from everything I'm reading, every. Everything I'm reading, it's not about that. It's more about you. You're you're reducing your your chances of having merge conflicts, which we joke all the time about. My my pull requests to sit around for months or years, literally, for this project. Yeah. And the number of times somebody says, oh, "I'm going to review this now." Hey, there's a merge conflict. Can you fix it? And I got to go fix <laughs> like, that merge conflict. It's like no shit. There's it a merge ha- conflict. It happens all the time. So. The one of the beauties of it is, you know, the the chances that it are very little to happen, but and but, you're getting but the, the code into the, production. But that that's a unique scenario for you. I mean, the the way I see a pull request is that's a developer saying this is ready to go to production. There's no reason for that PR to sit there. Oh for no way! Longer than a week. Yeah, but if you have if you have multiple people working on multiple features. The chances that they're going to cross-pollinate or, or screw up a file and have a merge conflict, it becomes a race to but, but how, who can you, who can open a pull request first that? and have it committed. Well, okay. Where how do you reduce how do you reduce that with trunk trunk based development? I mean, you you still have that con- you still have that race condition where I'm working on a feature and while I'm working on this feature, but you're else limited has to it. deployed to master a couple times. Well, okay. But you're I, limited I think... to hours versus days or weeks or months. And you still have to have other management techniques in play. Uh, are you doing stand-ups? Are you doing Scrum or any of the other uh, types of daily conversations about who's in what and what they're doing? You know, that trunk-based development isn't just, hey, everyone throw your shit at, at master. It's make sure that we can all commit to master and work things out as a team as they're occurring so that if there's a problem... We can say on the Scrum uh, burn down or whatever, uh, this intersection of code might cause a problem in the future, and we address yeah, it now. Bullshit. That, that's horrible. That, that, that's a horrible approach. <laughs> it's awful. It, I it don't is. disagree, it, it, but 
for larger for yeah. large i mean we and saw I, business.com I the, function the benefit, that way the, the, the benefit opposed to even if you were to say you know the beginning of every day we're going to review the prs and and merge them in i mean that even seems like a better approach than this i just don't i i can't process. you do both I, I don't I can't process what the whole committing directly to master benefits. It just doesn't make any sense to me. I think it's that's like, a why, side effect why of do you saying think this is a good idea? I think that's just a side effect of saying that features are are being worked on in smaller chunks. But, so, but we're not even talking about just we're not even talking about just features so I mean even bug fixes, I mean anything, any sort of code needs needs a moment of a review that, that and, and that's how I look at a PR. A PR is a developer saying this package of code, whether it's a feature, a major feature, a minor feature, a bug fix, an enhancement, whatever it might be, this is done. I've done all my legwork. I've done all my testing. I've had the client or I've had the you know, business owner sign off on it. I'm finished with this. Put it into master. And it's that moment of, okay, you're done with this. Let's all take a look at it. Boom, 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 boom. All right, let's merge it in. I mean, that that's not a long process. It's not like, okay, we all got to call conference and sit around this room and dissect this code line by line. No, it's one person looking at it. No merge conflicts. Everything makes sense. Coding standards meant maybe it runs through a CI system or, or something along that lines. Boom, you merge it in. I mean, it's let's just see, that's, one That's not how I treat master at all. What? If I push if I push to master, it is not production ready. If I push to master, it's ready for QA and testing amongst I, the higher ups. I don't understand that. I just we, don't understand that. We tag releases. So when well, it's released, okay, master, so, so it, should, you're it should be it. ready to go. You're using no, it differently, yeah. Ma- master is just the last place where merge conflicts occur. But it's the first place for bug testing on merge conflicts. So, so when you merge the master, though, you're not actually deploying to production. Absolutely just, not. Huh? I'm deploying. I'm deploying to staging, and staging exactly. is tested by the that, QA that, system. That's, that's what I about. That's what I was going to say. You, you're using master as as your staging branch, and right. then you're tagging a release that goes to the production. Same thing, right? I mean, you, you, you're not. You're not. There's no difference there. But, but when you when you tag something for production, how are you looking at that that release? I'm handing off culp- culpability to somebody else who's in a different position than I am. Okay, so you're wiping, you're, you're washing your hands of it. I mean, yeah. Correct. Yeah. When I it's just, merged I, into I, production, I, I I breathe easy. When it's merged into staging is when I get yelled at by people above me. But when it's fine. merged that's to production, that's where yeah. you that's where you want to get yelled at, right? Absolutely. And that's that's kind of my point. It's like th- this constant release. And when I when I hear John mention trunk based development. In this deployment to, to master, I'm translating that to production. Like if you're merging into master, this this stuff is hitting hitting production very, so very from every, It seems like yeah, a little so from, oversight. From everything I'm reading, it's it's ready to go into production at that moment. You have well, let, the proper you have the proper flags in place to say nobody sees this. Nobody's supposed to see this feature. Until I flip this flag, or I flip this flag for specific people to see it. Let me so, give you an example of where this would be incredibly useful. You have an API that has multiple endpoints, a JSON endpoint, a SOAP endpoint, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. You need to implement a new feature, so does somebody else. That feature has step one, 
implement this new endpoint type. That's step one. You don't want two people working on implementing that new endpoint type because this new technology is popular. And then both of you merging your code that does the same thing. And then both of you writing the system that's but, but, on but it that's afterwards. that's just poor management. Who does that? Well, this I is mean, a management poor, type. That's just poor development. But no, I'm just saying that's that's like giving giving two developers the same ticket. Say, okay, you both work on this ticket. Whoever gets it done first, you know, gets to merge it in. That doesn't that doesn't make any sense. No, but people you do know, it your, accidentally. Your, your scenario is it, accidentally. We're, we're talking about established workflows here. You know, but, accidents are going to happen. You're, merge conflicts are going to happen. But you're looking at a, a in that case, you're looking at the API endpoint code. The API endpoint code interacts with other pieces like let's say a model that other pieces of the system interact with so you're changing a model that affects other places we may be working on a ticket we both have to affect that model right yeah you want to minimize the time that you guys have distance between you right i disagree i still disagree what else you've been obsessing over john it it, it's still fat. It's still fascinating to me. I, you said, I see you said, benefits. You said three things. Yeah, we said no Bitcoin, Bitcoin no, 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 like Chinese the, the school tra- girls, bad programming. So, the, what was the other one? So, so the oh, other shit, one. I can't say that. No, I can't. Processes. I can't call things bad oh programming. Gosh. That'll get me kicked off Twitter. Jesus Christ! Can I just talk for one second? So, the three things having me obsessed right now: trunk-based development. Bitcoin or the blockchain and microservices and micros <laughs> for our listeners. That wasn't a sound effect. That was the perfect opening of a Lagavulin. That was good. Um, so microservices trying to get my head wrapped around how to break up a monolithic system into microservices and what microservices really are versus what, some of the things we're using a mass. So in a perfect world, a microservice has its own database, its own API. It can interact with other microservices, but there's no blending of that data where with a monolithic system, it's like a free for all in the database. And I run into issues with that all the time right now. So it's just a fascinating topic and wanting to know more about it. I I agree. <laughs> I, don't have, I don't have a lot to say Thanks about that input. that I haven't already said. I mean, that's true. It, it is a fascinating topic. I think it's another management style. Um, you know, it's not necessarily management. It's not management. You're style. all it's wrong, more, and I'm going to explain to you why. <laughs> it, it's it's more how do you how do you wrap your head around breaking up your system so that other components don't clobber what you're working on, and the you whole work- point of the microservices is to be able to to deploy small chunks of code that don't break other things. Oh yeah. And so all the all the videos I've been watching are more the 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 theory behind it and they they go into these long-winded like mathematics and uh like nothing PHP centric. It's how to determine how to break it up, what services talk to what, what languages they're talking. And it's like you're you're talking at such a high level. I'm trying to figure out how to get break this down into what. How do you break up a monolithic system into these microservices? Like, what should I be looking for versus 
Like, they're just not using real-world examples. And I hate examples that are not real-world. Yeah, I'm with you on that. It's like, yeah, they're like, oh, yeah, you know, we're going to create a microservice. This one's going to manage cars. This one's going to manage bikes. This no, one's gonna manage- it's not even that. <laughs> I'm like- the, the, what I've been watching is we have microservice A talking to microservice B, and B consumes the consumes A with the A language, and then microservice C talks to A, but you know A consumes it with the C language, and it's like no, this this I need real world examples, please. Yeah, can you make it about dogs and cats? I hate that example too. <laughs> well, I I think I mean it's the great educators that we rely on like Jeffrey way and, and people like that, they, they use better metaphors and examples in their teaching. Mm -hmm. That's what makes, that's what makes them great. Um, and that's been one of the things I focus on when I'm trying to do talks. I try to be as practical as possible when I'm, when I'm giving presentations. Yeah, but even then, they 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 have a tendency to skirt the real world examples as well. I mean, that's just it's just like when you're trying to when you're trying to talk about or present or educate on something, you don't really want to dive into the nuances of the real world because there's all these conditions and oh yeah, you know, typically you just do this, but in this one case, we're going to do it this way because you know this 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 little piece is a little ugly, and. But to John's point, it's like when you don't see that real world example, then these 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 cookie cutter scenarios that they put together for for these you know ideas and workflows, they they start to fall apart. It's like okay, I I'm understanding what you're saying about microservices, and I see the little boxes you have on the screen and the little arrows pointing to the other boxes, but but I have this this circle here in my world and. How do I get the arrows to point to that circle? And it, it everything falls apart. The whole the whole house of cards fall apart for a lot of people. So, well, that, one of the things I like about Jeffrey Way and Adam Wathen are that they focus on the application that you're looking at now. Uh, Jeffrey Way talks a lot about uh, the new feature he just built into Laracasts and how he did it. Um, Adam Wathen has a project called Kite Tail App which he he is constantly developing as a lesson um, and sort of say, so saying this is how something is done practically when you want to do it this way and when you want to accomplish this thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, perhaps. All right. Um, we are deep, deep, deep into this, uh, this Good podcast. Good lordy. Where are we at? 55 minutes. Wow. Do we want to talk about any? Uh, we don't have a lot of news in here. Do we want to talk about any of this stuff? I think we we talked here? about most of it. Um, Did we? Yeah, you know uh, the the things we're missing here. We've got a couple. See, we lost we lost John. Oh, did you see this one? Uh, NSA uh, <laughs> NSA actually has a GitHub account now. Yeah, the, the NSA is on GitHub. Did you see this? I mean, they were on GitHub before, but now they're officially on GitHub. Yeah, they have a whole little GitHub page, like the uh, GitHub. Yeah, I forget what it's called, where you, you can you can host a, a site on your GitHub repo. They have that, and they have a whole bunch of repos you can now, contr- you know, fork and contribute to, and 
This is uh, this is kooky, man. This is really kooky. It is, but uh, you know, one of the things that that you look at when you see what they're actually giving out is analysis tools, data data platform tools. It's not stuff mm-hmm. that is really that useful, but it's tools that they've mm-hmm. developed in in the time of need of having terabytes and terabytes of data. They do have SEL Linux on, or SE Linux on here. That makes me trust um. SE Linux a lot. <laughs> so I thought that was I thought that was cool. We'll have the that one in the show notes. Yeah, they've. What I mean, it's we have? you know WebSocket library, log based transaction graph engine, digest stat and copy files from one location to another in the same read pass. It, it's a lot of functional stuff. So this open source um, monetization you already talked about? Well, my, sort of. I, I brushed past st- it. Yeah. My favorite story of the day is Let's Encrypt is now going to offer wildcard certificates finally, starting uh, January well, next year. That's a huge change. That, not finally, not, not not even soon. We're talking about another six months from now, but uh, yeah, but it's, it's coming. Still, it's finally coming. It, it's one of those things lots of people have been asking for, so finally is like, at least they're saying, yes, we'll do it. For the longest time, they didn't know for sure if they would or not. Yeah, and I'm wondering what the challenges are with that because, I mean, if you're creating your own certs, like what's, like what what obstacles are they having to overcome before releasing this? It, it seems like it would be, it would actually be something fairly simple for them to implement. I, I'm I'm a little curious I, I, as to why. Yeah, I don't know the the details of how certificates are created and know what the difference is between. I mean, I know how they works, like technically but what it takes to create a wildcard certificate i don't know what that entails i don't know if you need a higher level of trust or how that works Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because you figure with the certificate chain i don't know if they need if they need the okay from their upstream providers or how but i know that um our client that's been using us a lot they're saving thousands of dollars every month by using let's encrypt because of all the certificates they have, but they can't get past the wildcard certificate, even though I, I keep trying to tell them we don't have to have a wildcard certificate, uh, even though each user can have their own subdomain, like eric.domain.com. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. As soon as you say, hey, I want to claim the subdomain Eric, we could generate a Let's Encrypt certificate for that, right? So right. we don't technically need a subdo- or a wildcard certificate for it. But at the same time, you're talking about thousands and thousands of certificates, and they just don't want to go through that headache. Not that I think sure. it would be one. Yeah. So. Uh, Thomas, did you want to uh, did you want to circle back around on the open source monetization topic? I did. Um, you know, we've we've talked a lot about open source, and we've actually discussed monetizing open source in the past. But there are some new platforms out, and you know, this part of my whole deep dive into ethereum but there are actually methods now of sort of sponsoring open source development so that with these ethereum contracts you can say once this feature is merged into production then set the flag for releasing the money to the person who merged the feature in so bounties are entirely possible i was gonna say it's like a bounty right i mean right so, so Which, anybody I mean, they who have... contributes can, can benefit from that. Right. 
which they have they have now without the blockchain, but the blockchain puts a contract in place. Yeah, and the blockchain is like spending money but not giving it to the person until the work is completed and you've agreed. It's there's a it's a right. weird it's a weird territory where it sort of is like an escrow. Mm-hmm. Um and there's a lot more to it than that. Uh, specifically, a company called Aragon, which is creating a platform for governmentless or or globally scoped investment in concepts. Um, stuff that it's it's weird. I don't know. My my faith has been shaken this evening. I don't know if I can promote this a whole lot without further research, but. It's interesting. I mean, one of this this company's one of this company's main interests is being able to commoditize or commoditize open source for the people developing it, and I think that's a great goal to have. Interesting. That, that, that is interesting. That has a, a cool little um, hook to that whole process. Eric, do you want to, you want to talk about that one you shared with me earlier today? I mean, you forget the name of it at this point, but it was very interesting. Oh the yeah, what was Rem, that? Rem, it was Remy, R E M M E. Remy. So they basically want to, they want to take away passwords for, from the, the process, and basically so, give every device their own, basically token or address, or their own SSL certificate. Let, let me let me and then give you, credit where credit is due. Friend mm-hmm. of the show, Eduardo sent me that link, along with another link I, I haven't sent you yet, John, but yes, Eduardo, thank you very much for that link. Every now and then people contribute, and if you want to contribute a link to the show, Thomas does manage a Reddit for PHP Ugly. You can always add uh, add links there as well. Absolutely. But yeah, this uh, this Remy thing looks super, super cool. Um it's really interesting. I'll, I'll we'll post uh, we'll post this in the show notes as well, and, and I'll send it to you as well, as, uh, Thomas, because I know you never read the show notes nor listen to the actual show, so, nor look at uh, Reddit <laughs> since it's posted no, there. But yeah, this uh, yeah, it's mm. so. I mean, did did you wrap your head around what they're proposing here, John? As far as like everything having a like, essentially everything having an SSL cert. Yeah, my my conf- the confusion is what we would have to do on our end. So we're basically giving access to our systems now for a device. So if you have multiple de- multiple devices, we have to somehow figure out that you're the same person and give access to those devices to our service or whatever that is. So basically, each device gets its own uh, SSL certificate managed by the blockchain, stored on the blockchain, so it's not going to be used kept by anybody else and then you would be using that to access different sites and services you're kind uh, of describing the... drm drm really? yeah and that's the thing okay. is that for me right now the the gulf in the technology the place where it is weakest is at the hardware layer um the 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 bit the bitcoin people the the litecoin people um, Ethereum people, everyone is operating on sort of these functions of trust, establishing trust and how trust is maintained. Um, acknowledging things like the 51% attack or things like the DAO collapse. They, these are all trust-based conversations. 
uh, there isn't an initiative that I know of right now that is attempting to move trust into the physical sector, um, tying fingerprints or retinal scans to permanent identification, um, things that are more and more difficult to compromise. Because as, as somebody who's been involved in the piracy community for uh, 20 years, I can tell you software solutions fundamentally will not work on identity systems. Just They just won't, ever. Um, the most complicated and expensive one right now is called Denuvo, and Denuvo got defeated and then rewritten and then defeated again and then rewritten and then defeated so badly that it it's functionally going to bankrupt the company. Um, the most recent attack on the Denu the Denuvo system is crushingly bad, and it is the most advanced version of software protection in the world, as far as commercial software. So when when people start having a trust in hardware implementations binding to software implementations, that's when you'll see real change being made or real progress being made. But at this point, it doesn't exist. Uh, my laptop has a fingerprint reader, which is essentially useless because it binds to software that I don't know or trust, which accesses an API that I don't know or trust, and then another one, and then another one, and then another one, and then it sends my fingerprint to the endpoint. There's too many men in the middle, and I just, why would I use that? But I think that's what this is trying to address, is by, it's trying to address the issue of trust by tying your piece of hardware via the blockchain. Yeah, but it's asking my hardware what my hardware is. It's asking my software what my hardware is. As long as you're asking yeah, my software... Hardware, it, it, it's not even hardware. It's just it, you're getting an, an SSL certificate. And I think they're trying to remove the complexity of understanding public and private keys at that point. My assumption is... <coughs> excuse me. You get a certificate and they can prove the trust via the blockchain. They can prove the trust based off of a chosen number of vectors, but those vectors are all weak. Uh, Microsoft attempted to do this. Apple is still currently doing this. So the, the thing is, Apple currently does this with their operating system. You cannot install Apple OS on non-Apple hardware. Um, and if it weren't for the thriving community of people who do so, you'd think they'd succeeded. But they have not in the slightest but succeeded. And they've been doing this for 15 years, ever since OS X was released. Um, Denuvo, which is multi-point authentication using your hardware, has been defeated easily. It took weeks to defeat it globally. Um, software solutions fundamentally aren't going to work. Hmm. You know, it's... It's Great too easy. It's Good too job. easy to circumvent. I know. Well, hey, sorry. <laughs> I was gonna try and defend myself, right. but decided against it. So we're running a little long. We probably need to wrap this up. I'm a couple of scotches into it, so I'm caring less and less about uh, about any of this conversation. I do want to mention that I have a, a couple of links that I'll add to the show notes. Uh, really good links. One that uh, has a bunch of Twitter handles for uh, really influential 
people in the PHP community. So if you're a PHP developer, are you looking to get in, getting into PHP? These are a lot of the Twitter handles to, to follow. Uh, another one is a list of really prominent uh, podcasts to listen to within the PHP world and programming world. Oddly enough, we are not mentioned on either list. So, Excellent. You know, good, good <laughs> so, to know so you know that, the quality uh, is there. Yeah, yeah, you know, good to know we're we're pretty much wasting our time and not influencing absolutely nobody uh, during that, what, that period. But wait for next week when we talk about the the blockchain lists. We'll be on that for sure, right? <laughs> we'll be Somewhere. definitely yeah. Influence influence influential blockchain discussers. That would that will be us. All right, um, that's it. Do we want to? You, we have you, one you more forgot story the, here. you forgot the extra qualifier on there. Uh, Blockchain influencers that talk about PHP. There you go. <laughs> See, got to get enough podcast. qualifications in there to make it on, yeah. on a podcast Thursday night. That, that I think that, I think we should have that one locked down. Released on Sunday. We want to talk about this last one. What's this last one. Who who is this? Thomas, Jesus Christ, man, you've had enough of this show. What is this? <laughs> Nasdaq data. We. This <laughs> was the first. This was the first thing I added this week before I had gone fully down the spiral but we were discussing last week how ethereum had forked off because of a uh, bad data or perceived bad data and so uh-huh. i saw i saw this tweet this week from our dear leader rasmus lairdorf uh Rasmus, which was a a notification from nasdaq that uh, test data had leaked onto the system and that everyone who propagated the system was requested to remove the test data and revert to July 3rd, 2017 at 5.16 p.m. See, that's so, what happens when you trunk-based develop. <clears throat> exactly. Even even, even the biggest blockchain can be forked, as they did. <laughs> All right, guys. Anything else? Do we want to talk about anything else? We, we hardly talked about it. Next, next week... Hardcore PHP guys, seriously. I don't. I don't want to see any non-PHP articles on the Trello board. All, all PHP. I talked all, all about the block uh, trunk-based development. That was PHP related. That was management services PHP related. Next week, I'll talk about my PHP implementation of the Ethereum blockchain wallet. I'm okay with that. <laughs> all right. I'm calling this one. This has been episode 68 of PHP Ugly. I'm Eric Van Johnson. I'm Tom Rideout. I'm John Conger. Keep it ugly. Keep it ugly. Thanks for listening to this episode of PHP Ugly, and thanks to our sponsor, the Diego Dev Group. If you're looking for developers who care about the code they create, the communities they build, and the solutions they implement, then reach out to the Diego Dev Group at www.diegodev.com. Show notes can be found at www.phpugly.com. Follow PHP Ugly on Twitter at PHP Ugly. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or directly off the PHP Ugly RSS feed. A rating of five stars on iTunes is appreciated. Submit articles to phpugly at reddit.com slash r slash phpugly. Until next week, keep it ugly.